so we have contacted this person who's given us this quote, we've contacted this person who's given us this quote. We're at this point in the process. If you, the sponsors, are interested in, in this deal, the next step would be we're going to send you a copy of all the documents, including the financials, the OM if we have it, and our personal analysis, like a loss to lease analysis and underwriting. We're going to send you a copy of the documents. And then once you guys have taken a look at those documents and you like what you see, then we'll get questions from you guys that we'll take and go to the broker and ask if you guys have any clarifying points. So that's all to say, present the highlights of the deal, lay out the next steps. Welcome to the Lion's Den, the real estate podcast for perspicacious investors who know they have the strength to succeed in the lucrative commercial multifamily industry. Gain expert advice on your way to becoming a top performer. I'm your host, Adam Parrish. I have my three co-hosts, Donato Callahan, Bia Mosley, and Lisa Parrish. How's everybody doing? Good. Awesome. Great. Awesome. The word of the day is assiduity. <laughs> assiduity is a noun meaning persistence, persistent application, diligence, and unflagging effort. Our goal is to incorporate the word of the day into our discussion as extensively as possible. The obstacle of today's episode, what is the best way to get sponsors attention? And how do I present potential deals to them? And for anyone who is wondering, this is the mythical two minutes and 30 second glass. Everybody has two minutes and 30 seconds. I'm going to go with Fia first. And my specific question to her is, what is the best way to get a sponsor's attention? Okay. When we started out, Donato and I and the rest of our team, we did, I did start going out and meeting sponsors, although we were still forming our system and how we were going to do things and practicing. Basically, I would say people should really do that. You need your team and your system and practice. But I was meeting sponsors. I didn't really approach them about sponsoring us necessarily because I knew we needed to grow. So I would just have conversations with them, get to know them, be personable. For me, when I got into this business, helping youth was really important. So I think, you know, that's good. There's a lot of people that get into this business and how are you going to set yourself apart? For me, having that desire to make money and eventually help teens, we have three younger gentlemen on our team. So that kind of all went together and I could talk to sponsors about what I was passionate about and also the fact that we did have younger people on our team that were very skilled and, you know, just really seeing like people grow in a lot of other ways, their personality, their confidence and everything like that. And then on the flip side, you know, I learned a lot from them on technical things and the way that they did their job behind the scenes. So it was a learning situation back and forth, but we took the time to build everything and to get to know people. And then once we had so much practice, we underwrote about a hundred deals. That's when we met Lisa and Adam. 
And it was a totally different conversation because Lisa just laid it out up front. If we're going to partner with you guys, this is the deal. And then we talked more and got to know each other and we all clicked, especially since Adam Donato and Lisa's other son, Eric, and some of our other teammates are in the same age range. We had a lot in common and Lisa and I are in the same age range, but I'd say what's important to you, what's your mission behind things, make yourself unique basically and build relationships until you're actually ready and prepared and then ask someone to sponsor your deal. Nice. And you did not go over your time. So congratulations. Next question. <laughs> Next question is for Lisa. What is your main criteria to sponsor a deal? Well, for us specifically, we've been doing this for long enough where we've gone through the full repositionings and the drug dealers and all that kind of stuff. So we are, we're really looking for newer and in B areas. So newer properties, over hundred units, B area. And, you know, we're kind of open on some of the markets, but we really like to stick with markets that we already have properties, which would be like the Dallas area. Mostly the Dallas area is what we like. And then we also like North Carolina and still some markets in South Carolina, maybe Florida, but B markets are the most important thing. But that's just us specifically. Um, a lot of sponsors are more open to properties that need more value add. So, you know, we are interested in light value add, which is just basically units need upgrades and bad management, things like that. Pretty simple. But the big money is typically made in the stuff that's the higher uh, value add. So there are a lot of sponsors out there that are looking for higher value add, maybe not full repositionings. That takes a certain kind of person with experience to do, but maybe more. They'll take on a C property or a C, C property in a B area, something like that. But really all the students need to be checking with each sponsor that they might want to work with, because it's really important to know your specific sponsors criteria, because we're all very different. We're all, look, we're all different points in our careers. We're all looking for different things. So don't think that it's one size fits all that just, this is what we're all looking for is it's not like that. So you're going to be having many conversations with a lot of different sponsors to figure out if this is what each is looking for. So when you find a deal that fits one of their criteria, you know who you are going to, you know, with your deal. Nice. You're within the time too. Can I yeah, save I some of that sand for my next question in case I go over? No. <laughs> Donato Callahan, at what point in the due diligence process do you decide to present your deal to a potential sponsor? I would say when you have the confidence to back up your analysis. When it comes to speaking to sponsors, brevity is the name of the game. That is, sponsors have, if they're a good sponsor, several deals ongoing. They have families, they have hobbies, they have things to do outside of meeting new people who, let's face it, they meet tons of new people every day who want time from them. They have demands on their time. And so if you're going to be bringing a deal to a sponsor, they need to know that you're not going to be a waste of that time. And if you want to not be a waste of a sponsor's time, you need to do your due diligence. So that includes if you have a potential deal coming across your desk, that you have underwritten it, you've underwritten it again, you looked at soft quotes for things like insurance, source potential property management companies that you can use in the area. Now your sponsor might have one that they already know, but I'm assuming that you don't know the sponsor. This is your first time reaching out to them, uh, or if you have a relationship with them, which you should have already, you already know which property management company they're going to be using, but you've taken a look at the area around the property, you know, the city, you know, the neighborhood, you looked at the 
lost to lease via the rent roll in the T12. You've highlighted potential things of concern, potential ways you can add value to the property. And this is where people kind of get stuck. They find all this information could be 10, 15, 25 documents or pages worth of information. And they decide the best way to show the sponsors how smart they are is to send all of that to a sponsor, which then the sponsor receives, sees how long the email is and promptly says, eh, no, delete. And they never read it. So what you need to do is go one step further. Once you've gotten the information, consolidate it. What does a sponsor need to know in less than 60 seconds to know if they want to move forward with asking you questions about the deal? That is purchase price, number of units, the most important returns on underwriting, your ARR, IRR, cash on cash, cap rate, your value add plan, details about the area, couple photos. Get that in a short, sweet, one to two page document. A couple bullet points are even better. And once you understand the deal so well that you can explain it to a sponsor who has decades of experience and you only need five bullet points to tell them what they need to know, then you should bring it to a sponsor because you know the deal well enough inside and out to be able to say, this is good for you specifically because it matches your criteria. Awesome. Good stuff. Thanks coach. Bia. Yes. Should I post on Facebook looking for a sponsor? No. Absolutely not. Like Donato said, you've got people with millions of dollars worth of real estate having to keep these assets transitioning, looking at new ones with their family and everything like that, hobbies, whatever. You know, no no sponsor is just going to sit there and scroll through Facebook and look for a deal to sponsor when they have people actually coming, calling them on the phone, emailing them, however it is that they prefer. Not only that, but it makes you look lazy. It really does. If you like, why would you expect someone who has millions of dollars of real estate to have the time to contact you? So no, I would absolutely 100% not post that post on Facebook or Instagram or wherever. <laughs> okay. And then Lisa, what are some reasons you would not sponsor a student or conversely would sponsor a new student. I just want to say one thing really quick about what Fia just said. I agree with you. Not You don't post on Facebook looking for a sponsor, but you, you do want to be posting on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever, general about you and your company and who you are. Because one of the reasons that the, the few people that we have sponsored, we already felt like we knew who they were because we're on Facebook and especially the MFM group. And so we had an idea of who the team was and who you were. So that's something that you do want to post, just not saying, hey, I'm looking for a sponsor. But some of the reasons that I would not sponsor people students would be one thing that drives me crazy is i don't want and this is a lot to what donato was talking about i don't want someone to just send me a deal if i don't know who you are i've never heard of you and we've never had a conversation before it's almost like when you're raising money and you're supposed to have relationships with them whether it's a 506b or c a lot of times the the you know you can obviously raise money people you don't know but you want to have that relationship so i for me it it's it's somewhat about the deal but it's about the people. This is about people. 
And us, the sponsors that are sponsors that have a lot of experience, we know that it's about the people. We have the experience to know that we've had great deals with bad partners that go badly and then vice versa. So I really want to know who you are values wise. I want to know about your family. That's me personally, because we're going to be working together for five to 10 years, right? So we need to know that we have values that align and all that. I want to have that relationship. And then once we have that relationship and I know I've seen you, this happened with you guys. I saw you get knocked down. I saw you get back up again. I, you're going to make sure that you play that again later with some music, but I saw you get hammered with the LOIs that you didn't get accepted and all that. Same thing with Gibby's. I saw all of that and I saw you not quit. That is huge for me because this is a hard business. You're going to get knocked down. And if you're not willing to put up with it and you're just going to quit, then I definitely don't want to work with you. And then once, once we have that feeling and you want that with several, talk to several sponsors, she can build that relationship. Then you go to what Donato said, which is the one to two pager with including pictures with all the information that you absolutely need, wrap it all up in a nice little bow and send it to the investor and let them know that you're sending it. Because busy like me, I don't keep up with all my emails. So let them know that you're sending it. Okay. I have I, borrowed sand from earlier. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I completely agree with your sentiment. I want someone to take me to dinner before they, they quote unquote. Oh, you have to wine and dine me, me before all. Yeah, wine and dine. Yeah. If we all lived yeah. in the same place, I'm sure we could have done mm. that. But we did have like a three hour Zoom call. That I would say true. the relationship part of. Uh, or it is the biggest thing before I decide to sponsor someone. I want to build a relationship with someone first. Yeah, there's a lot of deals out there, but it's about the people. Donata, did you want, want, want to say something? Yeah, at least what you were saying about the ability to fall down and get back up. There's a TED talk on the very topic that via meta-analysis of students all the way into adulthood, which students grew up to become successful. And the number one a predetermining factor of success was grit, which is that exact you know, part of you. Are you going to keep going? Are you going to get absolutely thrashed and say, I can keep going. I can keep taking it. I will do more, more so than anything else. And grit stands out truly like a diamond in the rough because of the same battered shores that rocks fall apart and get smashed. But the diamond stays together. It maintains its integrity under pressure. And as I'm sure Lisa and Adam could speak to, the pressure is high when it comes to commercial multifamily. So being able to withstand it and continue to move forward is critical. Yeah. Yeah. I've Can seen I a throw... lot of people have issues. I've seen a lot of people have these issues and then just say it doesn't work or I've just, I've failed too many times, but you know, that saying that we all say all the time, you don't fail unless you quit. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of you're going to feel like you're failing a lot, but you've got to keep on going. Yeah. If you guys don't mind, I'd like to throw something out there and get Lisa's response regarding LOIs. So when we started in this business, we were taught to submit LOIs and then find a sponsor if one gets accepted. Like I said, I was kind of building relationships all the way around, like all throughout the whole time, but we did not have a solid commitment from anybody until we met you. And then we did get an offer accepted. So when we started, it was very competitive. There was low interest rates, tons of deals on the market. So for people like us to get an offer accepted, 
just throwing out LOIs to different properties was highly unlikely. So we could practice and do that because we were going to get turned down. Now, what I see happening is if you turn in an LOI, there is a much higher chance that you get it. And then a lot of students are having to back out because they're not prepared. As Donato said, at this point, we don't do that anymore. We, we do our process, we wrap it all up, and we go to, to you guys. If it wasn't you guys, it would be another sponsor first. And we make sure that they want to buy the deal before the LOI goes in. And then the LOI is either written by the sponsor or by us, and it goes to the sponsor before the broker. So do you have any thoughts on that as far as new students just submitting LOIs? Yeah, I think what you're saying makes a lot more sense. I think that obviously wherever they're learning this from, whether it be Tyler, whoever their teacher is, I think what they're trying, what they're saying is that when you come out of that three-day class, you're thinking, okay, now what do I do? And so a lot of times they will recommend that you go into an area that you know you're not going to buy. You make a relationship with the brokers and you're putting in LOIs just to practice, but it's the, it's really just to get you going. I could be wrong. Maybe they are suggesting that you're doing LOIs without a sponsor first. I do think that you need, you should have a sponsor to put in LOI, especially if it's competitive, a competitive deal, because like you said, I mean, the brokers, if there's a lot of offers on that, the brokers are going to want to see the strength of the borrower of strength of the buyer. And if you don't already have a sponsor, they're going to ask you who is the one buying this deal. And when it's competitive, me as a sponsor, or even when I'm just buying my own deals, I always have to be involved. I always have to explain to them. I don't have to do proof of funds, but if they don't know me, I always have to show them what we have, what we've done. Otherwise they're just going to pass us up and move on to someone else. And a lot of times we can get deals that are less, we're not the highest bidder, but we get it because we have the most experience on our team. So it's really important that you're prepared when you're putting an LOI and you look good to the broker. Um, so I agree with you, Fiona. Yeah, actually, that's why we ended up on the top on our like current thing we're working on is because of who the sponsor is. So like you said, that is important. Yeah, very. It's a, I feel like it's a lot like when you're shopping for someone buy them a Christmas present when it comes to deals. If I'm going to buy someone a Christmas present, I'm going to talk to them first and get an idea of what they want. I'm not going to go to the store and spend six hours and buy someone a Christmas present and then Christmas morning hand it to them and say, oh, hope you like it. By the way, you can't return it Christmas morning. That's just a recipe for failure. What you want to do is say, hey, I want to get you something for Christmas. Is there anything on your list you've been thinking about? And they go, oh, you know, I've been really interested in the 100 unit stuff, something that's B class, really pretty. I love the color blue. So if the apartment complex has blue, I'd love to give you something. That's that. what you're going to buy people for Christmas? Yeah, people, not the gen pop, Christmas? but everyone, every one person in a while. Just Lisa, and Greg, then, and Adam. Yeah. <laughs> but now and I have the apartment that, complex? See, yeah, but see, now I have that Christmas list. I can go out to market and I can say, oh, this would make a great gift for Lisa. Oh, Adam would love this one. And then I can take that gift and where it differs from the Christmas metaphors, I can bring it to you guys and say, hey, this is what I really want to get you for Christmas. Is this something that you would actually appreciate? And, and I get your two cents yeah. and say, you know what? I would love that gift. Thank you for checking in with me. I, I so appreciate that you didn't waste your time or our time by buying the wrong gift. And then I get your thumbs up and I go to the store and I buy the gift. And then Christmas morning, everyone's happy because you knew what you were expecting. I didn't waste time looking at the wrong property. And everyone has a fantastic Noel. So buy the right Christmas gift. And don't make it a secret. Talk to people. 
the, the stock and stuffer is the blue color so yeah it's it, you go. know you get to if you get to know people well enough we all know that lisa loves blue so mm. if we need to like use something in in our current property we're working on i saw that there was a blue wall a huge blue wall so i sent mm. her a picture and was like yeah do you want this <laughs> <laughs> and One... i did i was like wow they painted that just for me that's amazing because yeah. it's yeah. beautiful one thing i would ahead, say is it, it's very difficult to find apartment complexes during the holidays so i don't that's think that, that that metaphor oh. That's true. Sorry, Denial. Nice I was just going to say we one more thing. We end up doing it, though. Isn't that weird? Every deal we've found is during December, which is really bizarre. That's the opposite of what most people are saying. So, Yeah, we that, that happened with us for a long time, too. And the LOIs, it's also, I think, for me at least, I like to either write the LOI or be a part of writing the LOI. Because I see students that, and we've had this before where, oh yeah, we're already, we already have an accepted LOI when it's brought to me and I'm looking at it. I'm like, you didn't get this agreed to, or you didn't get that agreed to definitely contract. Um, we need to be involved with, but it, I don't want to have to backtrack on the LOI. So that's for me, some sponsors are going to be different. They might want you to already be an LOI so that they'll take you seriously. So it just really depends. Yeah. It takes quite quite a while to get your foot in the door with brokers. Lisa's been in 15 plus years and, you know, started a long time ago. We have been in a year and a half and it takes quite a while because they have their list of people that just buying and selling. And so for new people to get their foot in the door, like using the what we're working on currently, I've been talking to this brokerage for a year and a half, and it wasn't until the debt market changed that other, like a lot of sponsors and people pulled out of buying altogether last year. So that gave us an opportunity. And I just been talking to them, talking to them. We've flown down to Texas and seen them. But the last thing that I want to do is back out of a deal when it's taken me all this time to build a relationship or go and submit an LOI with no backing. And then, then what, you know what I mean? So it's really, it takes so much time to build their trust. You don't want to do something unless you can back it up and nothing's ever going to be completely perfect. But if you go without a sponsor altogether, then you definitely don't have the backing for it. I think it's important to know beforehand what you're looking for from a sponsor. Do you want someone to just sign on the loan or are you willing to give up some percentage and control in order to find an assiduous sponsor who's willing to Ooh. get you into contract, help you with lending difficulties, and then eventually get you to the closing table. I think that's something that you should think about. If you've never closed a large multifamily, then I think new students have to really think about that. A great yeah. word choice. And yeah, getting into this business, I think a lot of students need to ask themselves a question. Why are you here? What's the point? Are you here so that you can post on social media? Look, I'm starting a new company and you could have a nice logo and nice Facebook page and nice website so that you look like you're running a business. Are you here to get in the industry, find a sponsor who's willing to just sign the loan so that you with your zero years of experience in doing this can have a higher cut of a deal that ultimately fails? Or are you going to come in and say, look, I know so little about this industry, but I have at least one or two skills I'm really good at. I want to learn from you. Here's all the ways I'm going to add value to your current system, make your life easier. 
in the same way, I'm going to make sure that you guys feel well compensated for all the experience and support you're going to provide me and my team. And I know that over time, my value will increase as we do bigger deals, more deals, we can earn better parts of the equity split. Ask yourself, as our listeners, what do you want? And if your answer is, you know what, I really just like the idea of starting a business, then that's okay. Know that now. Have that conversation with yourself before you get into a contract with the team and you find out that this is not the level of work you want to do. These are not the people you want to work with or it's not the industry you want to work in. Actually have a soul, the soul, heart to heart, whatever you need to do to talk to yourself. Conversation on why you are here and what you are willing to do to get to where you want to be and what you're willing to forego in the meantime. Sacrifice. Serious conversation. Yes. Yeah, really. Go ahead. I was just going to say the first deal is definitely the first getting your first deal is definitely the hardest because you're trying to figure out there's a lot of chicken and the egg situations. You're trying to figure out which do I do first? And there are actually, and we're talking a lot about finding the sponsor before you do the LOI, but that we also don't want to stop people from doing LOIs. So I think there's a lot of, and it's also, do I raise the money? Do I talk to investors first? I mean, the, the answer is do it all. You, you're going to have to do it all and focus at the same time. That's what makes this business a bit complicated on your first deal. It gets easier though, because once you've closed your first deal and you have experience and you can get an idea of how this is all supposed to work, you can get it all organized. But it is you do want to be talking to whoever your investor relations people are. You do want to be talking to investors and you want to be working on you know, all of it simultaneously. But again, the first deal is the hardest. And on your first deal, to Donato's point, you really don't want to focus on how much your compensation is going to be on your first deal. If you make anything on your first deal, you're lucky because you sh if you have a good sponsor who's going to walk you through how to do this from the beginning to the end, and then they should be, you should be paying them. So if you make any money on your first deal, be happy about that. Because I see a lot of students also trying to negotiate with the sponsors and being thinking the sponsors are being greedy. We do expect a lot. We do take a lot. We should. We're the ones that are taking on the responsibility of the deal. And we're the ones that have the knowledge that we're going to give you. And at one point I was new and I under, understand where some students feel that way, but I'm telling you, forget the first deal is for you to learn then you look toward your second deal or your third deal. Sometimes it takes a few deals before you really get it. Definitely. One, one thing that really clicked with me after our first deal with you guys is I believe that the best returns to investors are people that know how to transition an asset very quickly. And I think that I've always felt like Lisa, you and Greg, that was like your thing, even before I knew you guys really, like I had watched some presentations you did, but then once we got involved and we saw how fast the property management went in, the roofs were replaced, the swimming pools, it, it clicked. Oh, that's how investors get good money. The sponsor needs to be in charge of the transition because they have their property management go in and just Within a couple of months, we've really turned that property around in Waco. And it is a 1970-ish thing. A lot of sponsors I talk to, they don't want anything under 1980 anymore, pretty much all of them. 
But this yeah. one needed a ton of work. We've already got bad tenants out. Our occupancy is up to 93. And we've done all this work within a few months. And I was just blown away. I was like, okay, this is how people make money for their investors. High returns in a short amount of time is having someone in charge who knows how to do that. So shout out to the parish and GLP and ALP sponsor groups. They're fantastic. Everyone should love them. Kiss the ground they walk on and subscribe to this podcast because you're getting absolute gold from people who not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. Thank you. Appreciate <laughs> it. Shout out to AM Multifamily too. Oh, you're too kind, Godfather. Too kind. We should probably shout out to MFCP as well, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget. Shout out to MFCP for working with the GLP and ANE and a lot of other sponsorships over the years. We've done a great job of bringing together ourselves, AMF, and the people you see before you. You wouldn't be here without the group that they put together. And so just showing, going to see that you never know where the next chapter of your book is going to come from. So make sure you pick up the pen, start writing. You never know what's on the next page. Tyler Devereaux and Ryan Woolley. Yes. We, and Ryan Woolley actually set us all up. Yeah, he set really helped up. us improve our underwriting as well. He was meeting with us and mentoring us and going through the underwriting. And yeah, so he he did a lot for us really for months. Blind date. Yeah, said <laughs> AMF. I think you guys would get along really well with the parishes. You guys should go on a date on a little get to know each other. Some <laughs> goal. And here we are. Yeah, married. All right, Donato. What is the procedure of your deal presentation to the sponsor? Okay. At this point, when I'm presenting a deal to a sponsor, I know what their criteria are. So first off, I want to say thanks for your time. We're going to go through the highlights of the property first. After that, we can answer any questions you have. So I'm going to lead off with key information. Number of units, build year, location, asking purchase price. Then I'm going to go into... Primary value adds. Unit upgrades, loss to lease is at this number per door on our underwriting, what the current returns are expected to be, cash on cash, ARR, IRR, cap rate. I'm going to look into how long we're going to hold the property, five years, and then what we've done so far. So we have contacted this person who's given us this quote, we contacted this person who's given us this quote. We're at this point in the process. If you, the sponsors, are interested in, in this deal, the next step would be we're going to send you a copy of all the documents, including the financials, the OM if we have it, and our personal analysis, like a loss to lease analysis and underwriting. We're going to send you a copy of the documents. And then once you guys have taken a look at those documents and you like what you see, then we'll get questions from you guys that we'll take and go to the broker and ask if you guys have any clarifying points. So that's all to say, present the highlights of the deal, lay out the next steps. When it comes to moving forward in the process, you want to minimize any potential friction points. And so friction points are generally focused around people trying to decide what to do next. So if you can decide this is step A, B, and C of what's going to happen to get us to the next step, I find that sponsors and overall the whole team functions better because there's a very clear path to victory. So summarize the deal, lay out the next steps, and execute. Don't miss emails. Don't miss calls. Let them know that you can be relied upon to keep moving the needle forward. Thank you. Yeah. 
If your underwriting doesn't start out really good too, this is something I've learned because like I like we said, we go and present to a sponsor before we submit. If your underwriting doesn't start out here, it starts out here. If it looks mediocre, just know that when you get on the Zoom call to show it all to your sponsor, they're going to rip it to shreds. So if it isn't excellent, if it's mediocre to start with, I would not probably do that. You have to have something really good because they're going to mm. go through all your stuff and tell you to change this number and change that number. And why is this here? And why is that there? And it's going to break it down a little bit. So your numbers have to be able to withstand that drop because it's going to happen. You can always get more conservative on your underwriting. You will go to prison if you inflate your numbers so don't do that you can always get more conservative so if you start with it like a six stars at a five star property as you increase your insurance here your payroll here or capex reserves here as you build in those buffers returns will look, go down and as responses will tell you returns that look too good to be true is actually a negative when you're trying to attract mm -hmm. sponsors because they know the business well enough to know yeah, no deal worth its salt is actually going to return something that high. Either something's way off or this underwriting is not accurate. And that, that like we talked about before, that in introduces friction because it's outside of what they're expecting. And now they're going to go through deal even more frivolously, not more frivolously, but more specifically, get really intricate with all the numbers you're looking at. And they're going to not trust your analysis as much because it just looks way too good to be true. Well, if the investor, if the sponsor right then and there doesn't trust you because you're inflating your numbers or it just doesn't look right, they, if they don't really know you, they may just say, never mind, they don't want to work with you anymore. So you definitely want to make sure that you're being honest and listen to, we all have our rule of thumb of what, where we, you know, for me, like insurance is a really big one. Cause I've, oh, I've gotten my, I've gotten hit on insurance so many times where we'll get a quote or it's, a, it's always a soft quote and we use that number, but then a hurricane comes in or something happens and mm -hmm. it ends up going way up. So because of that, something that the things that you can't control you, for me, I like to see them being very conservative because I would rather us be too high and make the deal work. And then it's less than coming in than the other way around where it can completely mess up your deal because you could lose loan proceeds and all kinds of things can happen. Then you have to raise more money. Then the returns change and it becomes a domino effect. So the little thing, little tweaks here and there, you've got to make sure you've got it right up at the front because on the back end, it'll really kick your butt. And then sometimes you can get away with closing, but then it'll kick your butt after you close. And I was going to also say, if anyone was taking notes on the lists and stuff that you just mentioned, Donato, I didn't hear rental comps. You talked about loss to lease, but you mm. want to make sure that you have rental comps. I like to see those within a one mile radius. If there are any, sometimes there aren't other complexes nearby, then you would go to the nearest ones. But if you've got a one mile radius, you want the comps. That's hugely important. Because if you're doing value add, there's no point in putting money into something that you can't get back out that you, so you've got to be able to know that you can raise the rents a hundred bucks, 200 bucks, whatever it is, besides just your loss to lease. And then I also like to know who's going to be the boots on the ground. We need to know who's going to be the asset manager. And if you and your team doesn't have, don't already have an asset manager that is near the property or within a couple hour drive or, you know, a quick flight, then that's a discussion. I'm not saying that's a deal killer. Because there's things that you can do. Sponsors can hire an asset manager or whatever, but that's something that could be, could make you look really good. If you've got an asset manager, even if it's someone that's new that wants to be trained, that lives somewhat nearby. Okay. Yeah. 
I can't believe I didn't mention the rental comps. That's what I do. <laughs> I know. Um, and I would also say, speaking on rental comps, you're not looking to be a trendsetter. When you're looking to raise rents or do a rent premium, the goal isn't for your property to now become the most expensive in the submarket. Ideally, you are able to look at the comps around you and see that for a like unit size, say a 2-1 at 900 square feet, that your current highest paying person at your property is still $150 to $200 below what that property is advertising. So when you're doing those comps, you're not looking to be the highest, most expensive because it's going to detract potential residents from coming in. So people are going to look at the price only as opposed to the value that you're providing. So when we're looking at our deals, the last lease is crucial, but then also making sure that our bump in rent is getting us to market, not inflating us over the market. Is everybody ready for trivia time? Did everyone study? Woo! Uh, yeah buddy yeah i'm i feel like i'm back in school again and i didn't study i'm not ready for my test (laughs) i'm gonna win it's trivia time the capitalization rate is calculated by dividing the property's net operating income by the current market value according to cbre what was the average trading cap rate for class A value-add multifamily in Dallas, Texas in the first half of 2022. Oh, okay. Dallas, Texas, first, three, first quarter? The first half of 2022. I said 3.5. I'm going... That's a good answer. I'm going 3.3, 3.3. It's closest or is closest not going over? Just closest. 3.2. It is 3.75 to 4.5. Somewhere. No way. That's hot. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I would have expected it even maybe even touching the high twos. Yeah. And that's interesting because we were buying B's. We were buying class B in that range. Wow. Okay. Nice job, Pia. Nice. Okay, next up. According to adamdata.com, what state in 2022 had the highest foreclosure rate? Idaho. Just kidding. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I live here, so that's why I said that. We're going downhill at this point. I'm going to say California. I was Mm. actually thinking California, but... Let's stick with Idaho. We got two Californias. The answer. How about Las? I didn't even give an answer. Oh, yeah, oh Vegas. Okay. Yep. I was gonna say Vegas. So Nevada. Nevada. Then? Nevada. Okay. Nevada. The answer is Illinois. Oh dang! Oh, should have okay. called that. Okay. Gotcha. Maybe a good okay. place to buy apartments if people are losing their houses. I think California had the most foreclosure starts where they started the foreclosure mm. process, but not actual foreclosures. Okay, and finished foreclosures. I knew nobody would get this. So there's a secondary to this question. What's the per- what was the percentage of housing units with foreclosure filings in Illinois? Oh, I'm going to guess 11%. I'm going to guess 11. 15. 
Twelve and a half. It's a point four nine. Oh no! Oh, dang. Jeez. That's okay. That's, <laughs> that's not wow. Okay, so <laughs> technically closest, but I don't, I'm not happy about it. I was way off. None <laughs> of us are like very. I don't close. think anyone yeah. should get a point for that. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Really, only point four nine percent for closure. That, that's. Wow. I think this is only housing. I had a trouble really finding a solid answer. I think this is just housing overall. It might include multifamily, but this is like actual um, houses that were foreclosed upon. Wow. Okay. I don't recall what the uh, 2008 foreclosure rate was. I want to say that was like mid-teens, if I'm not mistaken, but maybe, but, but I, this is just my very faint recollection of being not even 10 years old at the time. Oh, I don't recall. I don't recall, but that's really low from what I would have expected. Not even half a percent. That's, yeah. That's the foreclosure rates in Illinois. Yeah. But you said that it was the highest foreclosure rate. Yeah, in the United States. Okay. Wow. According to AdamData.com. Brother. Okay. I take no responsibility. Is that just you? No, it's Atom. According to me. It's okay. A-T-T-O-M. Oh, well, is it? I thought he was yeah. like making it up, like Adam Parish.com. They're actually the nation's leading foreclosure. They're the nation's leading foreclosure data provider. They do a lot of good stuff there. Final question. The average personal savings rate since 1959 is 9%. The annual personal savings rate during the pandemic year of 2020 was 16.8% and 12% in 2021. Through November 2022, what percent of people's disposable in income were they saving? So it's like annually but only up until November of 2022. Five. Um, I'm going to put it at 11. Oh, wait, November 2022. Inflation. No, oh, yeah, inflationary pressures. No, I'm going to drop that to number two, eight. 8%. I was going to say seven, so we might be. Mm -hmm. I was going to say seven. Oh. Okay. Five, seven, and eight. <laughs> All right. Who said five? Fia. No, seven, five. seven, and eight. Oh, I said five. Oh, you changed it to five. Okay, okay. five, seven, eight. Okay. Okay. It's 3.3%. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Which is very you don't know concerning. Anything. Because people are not saving right now. And they're also racking up credit card debt. Wow. Well, I'll just tell you, our listeners, we don't know anything. We are. Jeez, well, we don't know we, numbers we at all. We do know about multifamily. I don't know yeah, about oh, housing man. foreclosure and all oh, that, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Let it, let this tell you, we we know about what we're doing on a day to day basis, but we keep our heads down. Yeah, uh, maybe our geez. trivia questions should be about multifamily. I don't want people to get the everybody to get the answer right. Well, that's, well I there's think things solid that you could challenge us on. That's okay. Man, man. Man, only 3%. Wow. Pretty low. Okay. I think it's, it's like the lowest it's been in a long time. Jeez. Okay. Well, we see, you know, it's the end of the month. We know the Fed's doing their two-day meeting to, starting tomorrow. They're going to announce their next hike. It's widely anticipated to be another quarter point, starting to slow down those hike increases. I think the IMF and other large banking institutions are looking at a rosier 
I've used the Washington Post language, ro rosier outlook on inflation over the coming year. Hopefully that starts turning around soon. I don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see. Maybe. Hopefully. Any final thoughts? I like your jacket. Thank you. It's lamb. You're not wearing a flannel lamb. today. Where's the flannel at? I know. I've got this like kind of zip up turtleneck thing going on. Like oh, we're Steve matching in our here. black thing. See, AM, AMFers always manage to match even when we're not trying to. It's funny. Thank you for listening to the Commercial Multifamily Lion's Den podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to leave us a like, subscribe, and share with anyone you think could gain value from today's podcast. What obstacles are you facing? Leave us a comment and we'll come up with a solution on a future episode. If you're interested in passively investing with us, you can go to am-multifamily.com or email fia at am-multifamily.com. Those links will be in the show description along with the Lion's Den Facebook page and website. Thank you and have a roaring day. Thank you. I love it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.